0: This podcast was brought to you by Supersound.
1: Supersound.
0: Hello and welcome to the With Measure Beatles special podcast to celebrate the documentary made by Peter Jackson, uh, Get Back. Yeah, this is not a, a particular Beatle, it's a generic Beatle accent. It's not Paul, it's not George, it's not Ringo. It's it's just it's just in really, isn't it? Welcome to the
1: show, Richard and Neil. Hello. <laughs> I gave you accent about 7 out of 10. I'm not sure what yours was, Richard. What was your accent? Scouser. Ah, ah, yeah. I went for a dirty scouser. I went, I went for a 60s Beatle. I went for a dirty scouser, didn't I? <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> eh, imagine the beaters sounded like that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is amazing that they don't sound anything like that, but most Liverpoolians you hear do. you think they would have conquered America if that's how they sounded <laughs> Well, they
2: didn't They didn't spend that much time in Liverpool in the grand scheme of things, did they? They left when they were fairly young for, for Germany, and then yeah. they never really settled back in Liverpool after that, did they? So, no that classic got...
0: thing, isn't it? In Salzburg, they celebrate Mozart when Mozart got the fuck out of there as soon as he could. And, and you know, history's full of these people, isn't it? I'm trying to think of another example, but uh, I, I can only think of Robert Burns, who settled in Dumfries, so that's the exact opposite. He's from Ayrshire. He didn't spend much time in Ayrshire, did he? he bolted from Ayrshire, but settled in Dumfries. Do you know who else is from Dumfries? Complete aside, Julian Assange. Is he really yeah I was reading not not Julian Assange but his his forefathers were anyway oh. back back to the you. Beatles this is classic wit beyond measure uh, but no we're doing a Beatles special
2: I don't know if Neil agrees or not but that you strongly implied that he was from Dumfries, yeah, yeah. I basically stated <laughs> which it, but yeah and I and I felt hook like and sinker for
0: it I was really I was reading reading a Julian Assange autobiography and he mentions his stock comes from Dumfries and then he goes on about Robert Burns and compares himself to him I guess.
1: When you started that sentence I thought you were going to go Julian Joachim. Joachim. I never liked Julian Joachim. Joachim, Joachim, Julian
0: Joachim or Julian Joachim. He always had a bland face. He never had any facial expression Julian Joachim. For listeners who don't know who Julian Joachim is he was a footballer played for Leicester and Aston Villa in the 1990s and he was born without any facial expressions. So whether he'd just got a red card, a yellow card, scored a hat trick, done anything, just nothing. Absolutely nothing. Very quick though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was fast. Anyway, back to the Beatles. <laughs> Let's get back. Let's get back. get
2: back. Richard, we'll start with you. What what was your the impact of the Beatles on your life? Oh, big impact. But so are we gonna go conscious or subconscious, I suppose? Because subconsciously, of course, the first impact would be uh, the first introduction would be Thomas the Tank Engine which was right. uh, when I was a child narrated by by Ringo Starr which seems odd now imagine sort of Dave Grohl turning up doing the <laughs> Teletubbies or something um but you know consciously it was listening to when I was probably about eight or nine listening to a cassette of the Beatles live at the Hollywood Bowl very clearly remember that and, you know, subsequent to that, you know, both my parents are, you know, Big Beatles fans. My sister became a huge fan to the extent that my sister would go to the conventions in Liverpool that they hold right. every year. You know, at the Adelphi Hotel, people come from all over the world to you know, listen to mediocre tribute bands. And, <laughs> yeah, so I've always been a huge, huge you know, fan you know, through growing up. Um, I've seen Paul McCartney live. I've seen Bootleg Beatles live quite a few occasions. Um, yeah, just to, you know, it's definitely my probably my introduction to music I would say through the Beatles.
1: Neil? Yeah I mean there's that line where people say there's someone born every day who's never heard of the Beatles you know so this thing that we think is totally canonical that is worth doing an entire podcast about like there's someone born who has to be introduced and how do they get introduced because you know they weren't around when the Beatles were on the front cover of every newspaper you know so it's either the next generation or a documentary gets made or something gets done every, you know, maybe 20 years, 10 years that allows the culture at large to assess whether this thing is worth paying attention to. I think my dad made a cassette of Beatles songs he thought us kids might like. So the one I was obsessed with as a kid was um, Bungalow Bill. Hey, bungalow, but, and it just like i would play that over and over again yeah. and wasn't really aware of what they were doing i kind of vaguely like when i was growing up all the beatles were was the blue album and the red album i think the red album is the early years yeah. and the blue album's the latest like that was basically all you ever heard of you'd never ever listened to like revolver um and it was only really once um kind of brit pop and uh you know, even maybe Nirvana, you know, used to reference the Beatles. I actually started listening to them a bit more seriously and trying to play some of the songs on my acoustic guitar. But yeah, I think like Richard, it's been a it's been an incredible influence on defining what music is. Like, what is a song? Oh, the Beatles did this, so that is a song. You know, they covered so many different bases. And yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about them.
0: It's one of the rare things from my childhood that I can I can literally, you know, look back in history and pick out the date of uh, a distinctive awareness. And there's a reason for that. Uh, I remember already being aware that round glasses were John Lennon glasses, but I didn't know who John Lennon was or why round glasses were considered John Lennon glasses. And I was uh, completely oblivious to the fact that this John Lennon character had been shot and killed. So this is like through the 80s. So he's killed... I think months after I was born in 81 and or maybe a year later, I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, basically a decade. 1980, before. before. All right. So it was a year before. I wasn't right. okay, so we don't overlap. So I might be him reincarnated. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, But uh, the specific date that I was on, about was the 18th of June, 1992. And that is Paul McCartney's 50th birthday and i remember we got back from mass that sunday morning dad bought the papers and he was like going through the 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 tv listings or whatever and it was all you know maca at 50 stuff and itv were like running a series of shows to celebrate mccartney's 50th birthday and i must have already been aware of monty python because the movies were shown hard days night was getting shown and help was getting shown and my dad saw they were on the listings and was like, oh, you'd, you'd like those films. They're kind of like Monty Python. Or he said something along those lines. And that was enough for me to be like, all right, I'll, I'll watch that. Uh, which is kind of cool to think that my dad had got me into Monty Python at like 10 or 11. Enough to know that, that you know, that was a reference. But then my, my family all like decamped and went off to the golf course, as they would on a Sunday, leaving me in the house on my own. So I just sat and watched these Beatles movies. And it was just like kind of love at first sight. You know, it was just like, you know, I think, I think I stumbled into one halfway through. My dad had set the recorder, you know, film them or record them. And then I just, like, turned the TV on. It was already in, it was right in the middle of a scene. And uh, it was the scene where they where Ringo gets, the, there's, like, a buzzsaw that chops him out from underneath and he falls into, uh, like, uh, whatever. But, yeah, I, I basically, you know, minutes into watching this film, I was hooked. And that that, that was me, a Beatles
2: guy forevermore. So that's the scene from Help, I think. yeah. But they both helped. So it's interesting you mentioned Monty Python because both Help and Hard Day's Night were directed by Richard Lester, who had directed The Goon Show, you know, Spike Milligan, and which the, the Pythons were involved with in, in writing for. Yeah. And then their their initial projects uh, were sort of spin-offs from The Goon Shows. And then it almost came full circle in terms of Life of Brian was funded by... Yeah. george harrison in 1970 no no other studio really wanted to have a look at it and yeah. george george harrison read the script and thought oh, this would be funny and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and i want like, to see it that
0: was it yeah. why, why are you yeah. going to fund it i want to see
2: it yeah yeah exactly so yeah there was there was that sort of strong connection which i didn't realize until much later later on in life but yeah i'm i'm with you i was completely obsessed with those films when i was a kid um but hard days night and help
0: and also having terrible eyesight after that date, the first time i'm getting new glasses i'm getting john lennon round glasses and the following halloween i'm dressing up as a beatle couldn't obviously do all four at once we, we proved that at the start with my accent but yeah i was i was just i was just beatle full steam ahead so that that you know a couple of weeks later my dad fished out like all the 12 inch revolvers and all that like the original records that he had and made a cassette for you know that summer's holiday in ireland or france or wherever we went and that was it. It was then
1: car music for the rest of our childhood and adolescence. What is remarkable about all those films is that they go on the cusp of film changing from black and white predominantly yeah. to colour. If you check out the new Get Back film, they have this 10 minute introduction to the Beatles at the beginning. Just to give some context of like why this band are significant, why you'd want to waste <laughs> spend eight hours of your life watching them noodling in a studio and uh you, you see this because it like hard days night black and white even though we'd had loads of color films like i'm not sure what's <laughs> going on there anyway but then help that goes color yeah and then obviously everything in in the beatles goes like technicolor shortly after they get introduced to weed by Dylan then they get introduced to LSD you know like things take on a amazing thing but that 10 minute sequence like I was almost in tears at how like amazingly significant everything they did was you know they're only in India for like well Ringo was there for two days before he like couldn't (laughs) stand the food any longer I think George Harrison lasted about 12 weeks they're only in India for like 12 weeks but like subsequently like a whole generation of people like started being obsessed with going to India and like doing yoga and stuff like that and like the Beatles helped bring that about it's kind of amazing they did LSD and you know like psychedelia they did a couple of psychedelic songs and suddenly a whole genre of music came out like it does feel like the most meaningful lives ever for a brief 10-year period where everything they did was culturally significant
0: we're gonna move on to talk about the the documentary that Peter Jackson's produced. I like that I didn't know that that Ringo had only lasted two days in India, but there's a great bit in the get back documentary when it's just him and a couple of these hangers on that again we will discuss them at length. When one of them asks him, Oh do you like I can't remember. It was some character, some either Buddhist or Indian character that's clearly one of the entourage. And Ringo's like, "No, not
2: really. <laughs> it's
0: just, it's just, you know, it's 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 a fly on the wall moment, but it's absolutely
2: brilliant." The Maharishi yogi was it? The, Someone he was like the, that. their their guru that they uh, they got into. The kind of their, their their humor as well. They were quite uh, quite deadpan at times. Yeah. But I was cool. thinking I was thinking in terms of like Neil talking about Ringo being in, in India for two days or you know twelve weeks in total. Everything they about them is so compressed. That's the thing. We talk about ten years, but really it's seven because it's sort of sixty three to seventy. Yes, you know they're they're in Hamburg before that and you know in the early sixties before they make it big. But you look today at sort of you know bands that have been around you know for decades mm. and not had the same impact. And you think how they did so much in, you know, you think of like the, the the period from them, you know, becoming a worldwide phenomena and having sort of screaming fans at all the gigs and then deciding to stop touring. That's like two years, yeah. <laughs> like two and a half years, that period, you know, that, that encompasses. And then, of course, they go through all these different phases, but it's just so compressed. It's like every six months they're doing something completely different.
1: And by the time they split up, George Harrison's 27 or something yeah. like that. It's just ludicrous that he's lived this entire life and he's still only 27.
0: And that's one of the cool things about the documentary is that, you know, it's capturing, I guess it's film, isn't it? that has been digitised or whatever, but it's, it's that, you know, it really captures... The moment, you know, it captures the times, but makes it, you know, looks great on a big HD TV now. You know, it, it doesn't look all chunky or blocky. It's it's proper film. I remember uh, NASA produced a film last year about one of the the Apollos, and I remember watching that. It was just total documentary. It was pretty boring, but it looked amazing. You know, to see the 60s, which we've only seen in like, you know, Ron Howard movies and you know, junk like that. Austin Powers. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know uh, to see it captured legitimately but looking crystal clear is is a really cool thing so peter jackson's done a really cool thing by
1: making this documentary i think he does have access to some technology that's kind of upscaled and cleaned everything up and yeah everything i mean they say that i mean it's interesting that film was so expensive at some point that you could just never do that kind of fly on the wall reality tv type thing but the Beatles had the the bonus of having <laughs> loads of money that they were just squandering at this point and you know like the technology was getting you know um easier the super eight cameras were starting to become available yeah so they, I think they recorded 40 hours of this documentary and 180 hours of uh, audio as well and I was thinking like what what if they just did it like big brother if they just like played it all in real time and just like had it all running. Like like would people watch that? Would people watch the Beatles Big Brother special? I bet they would, just on rolling on the T V channel.
0: I mean that's that's basically what it is. I mean, for those who have or haven't watched it, you know, you do get the drama of George leaving the band and you get a little shot of his his diary where he just says, Left the Beatles. You know, so there's this sort of couple of days where it's like, all right, is is George not in the Beatles? But then you know they, they they kiss and make up off camera and they all come back and and that's the best thing about the documentary the dynamic between them
1: mm-hmm.
0: where they're you know they're not being funny for <laughs> the cameras they're just being themselves they're you know we know I mean I love John Lennon but I'm kind of aware he's a bit of a dick <laughs> but he's a, a dick that I like George is just the coolest guy ever Do you know what I mean I, I just love George Harrison like he just seems like such a nice guy and just so insanely talented. McCartney comes off really well because I think I think I've projected a smugness of you know old grown up Paul McCartney, but he's he is the leader, isn't he? He's a kind of not by choice, just by the fact that the, the the three other aren't taking responsibility for
1: what needs done. That McCartney does seem like the grown up. Would you agree with that, Neil? The way the way it's painted is that Brian Epstein's death in I think 1967 basically forced Paul McCartney to kind of take over leadership. Uh, and so he kind of pushed them towards doing the film and uh, and the concert and the albums and it's not so much that Paul had to be a leader I think it's the like the fact that the others would had found themselves or whatever, you right. know, they were like finding their own independence because that Hamburg period, they were playing eight hours a day and then they were spending the rest of the time together in bunk beds, right? Uh, and then when they got to London, they were spending, you know, all the time touring, being on buses together, recording together. And then at some point they decided they weren't going to tour anymore, like 19 after, you know, Shea Stadium or yeah. whatever. And uh, suddenly they can go off with their new mates like George Harrison's got his like yogi mates uh John Lennon is like hanging out with conceptual artists Yoko, know who we might talk about later uh Paul McCartney you know wants to have a family they get into that stage in life where people do want to settle down like just hanging out in a band is not everything and you know they've been talking about love in songs for the last you know five years and they want to actually you know, have some lovely love, love, love with their wives or whatever. So. Now, I'm surprised, Neil, that you have mentioned Paul McCartney
2: in 1967 and have missed the opportunity to bring up the conspiracy theory. Mm.
0: What is the conspiracy theory, Richard?
2: <laughs> the conspiracy theory is that Paul McCartney dies in, was it 1967 or 68? One of the, I think it's 67 and is replaced by a very convincing lookalike that is not Paul McCartney. And can also write really good songs that get to number <laughs> yeah. one regularly. As with as with all all good conspiracy theories, there's very little to back this up. I think there's like the uh, the black rose on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's is supposed to be an oblique reference to it. And uh, you know proponents of it sort of quote these uh like look very carefully at photos from you know before and after. I think I think he was involved in a car crash. I th- think at that time, but. But anyway, that's, the, that's uh, enough of that nonsense. Um, but um, I, I have been lucky enough to meet Paul McCartney.
0: Where did you meet Paul McCartney,
2: Rich? I met Paul McCartney in the gym, <laughs> 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 in that uh, he, he has a house in um, St. John's Wood in northwest London, very close to Lord's Cricket Ground, where my dad used to work because my dad worked there I got to use that gym it's a very tiny little gym that uh, I'm not even sure if it's private members only if if it's even open to the public but you know Paul McCartney lived so close he obviously had a special deal Mm -hmm. so he used to use it and I used to use it as well uh, from time to time Um, yeah so it's one of those strange moments in life of sort of being on a treadmill and jogging along sort of with sort of empty thoughts in your head and uh, you know you know Paul McCartney's there next to you thinking I wonder what Paul McCartney's thinking about now (laughs) in terms of uh, but then, sort of, as you as you sort of wander around, you just say hello and pass the time of day. So it's nothing more than that. But uh, you know, he he was he was certainly pleasant enough when I went. Did you saw speed him. up?
0: Did you <laughs> speed up on the treadmill when a beetle appears? I, I think I don't think would be able to not.
2: <laughs> did I did I erase Paul McGartney? I can't remember if I did or not. I probably did. That's what you do. That's not just a beetle thing. Though. Exactly. That's, that's, a that's body my point. You on do it with anyone. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely.
1: Start humming better run yeah. for your life
2: you yeah. can I just started screaming helter-skelter I didn't... <laughs> <laughs> Neil,
0: back mm. to the documentary uh, the two things that I the two takes that I have on it were having spent a little bit of time in the company of celebrities in the past the dynamic between the other people in the room with the Beatles I find very odd mm. do you know what I mean, just the there's a degree of eggshells. You know, if you piss off the star, you're out of the gang. So do you just become a sycophant? Do you just become a monkey boy? What did? You, what were your thoughts on all the other
1: people in it? We'll finish on Yoko, but everyone else before that. <laughs> the person who's come out of it the best, I think, is this guy, Mal Evans who was a former bouncer at the Cavern Club in the early 60s, who was following them around as road manager for all those years. And I think you've summed up perfectly. You know, when you meet someone new and you're an uber celebrity, people treat you really differently and start like, yeah... They start sucking up to you basically because they know that if you they become mates with you, yeah. like the world is their oyster. And so it is interesting that like I think it's Kevin Harrington who is another like road manager, the kind of guy with the shock of ginger hair and uh, yeah, some of their' like old mates. So comparing them to like the posh film yeah. director who you know is like, I mean maybe he's just like that kind of pretty fake guy anyway but yeah it's sad and i think you talk of yoko that's that was the appeal of yoko to john lennon the fact that she apparently didn't know who he was and so you know and she had her own game you know she was doing conceptual art not really interesting pop music so suddenly he could find someone he could bond with yeah this is is i mean were you thinking of anyone in particular that's uh being uh you know particularly sucking up so. No, I mean, it was only in the second episode you realised this guy, Glenn, who's
0: actually, you know, responsible for some of the, the tech, you know, like actually recording stuff. But in the first episode, there's just this Kelly and Murphy lookalike skulking around in the yeah. background, looking like the absolute, you know, parasite. And then it's quite funny in the second episode, you realise that, right, he's actually got a job to do. But it's funny in the scene because he, he hasn't done it. So the Beatles have all finally turned up. They're ready to play. And this fanny's, you know, cutting about with amps and stuff. It's like, c- should you not be in at six in the morning to make sure that was all done? Mm. Do you know what I mean? I guess it's on the be- it's on Beatles' time. It's on Apple's, you know, coin. So maybe he's it- the classic music tech. You know, I need to drag this day out. I get paid by the hour. Uh, it
1: is it is that? Uh, I think their post like Epstein period where they're lacking a father figure. And you know, you've got George Martin who's kind of guided them through years and years of recording and suddenly he's kind of being jettisoned because they want something a bit more raw possibly like it seemed like they'd gone through these high concept albums like *Sgt. pepper and the white album and suddenly they're like realizing that actually there's nowhere else for them to go so they kind of go back to raw rock and roll they start playing covers again and it is interesting to think of the Beatles in terms of like order and chaos in that like Jordan Peterson sense of like order and chaos because they came out of an incredibly repressed ordered society post-war period where everyone was very proper which gave them all the structure that they needed to you know get things started and then they introduced some chaos but actually you do need the balance of both things in order to like keep the Beatles as this incredibly potent force and the minute you lose all that order and they haven't got their father figure you know it just kind of you know descends into endless jamming playing the same songs over and over again I mean that I did skip through the kind of 50th version of get back and don't let me down like there is quite a lot of repetition that could have been cut out I that's sort of the theme of if you go back to
2: the hard days night film it it's actually shot as a mockumentary, which is, yeah. you know, unusual in this, this day and age. Oh, well, no, it's not unusual. It's very, very common, but it was unusual yeah. then. But sort of the overriding you know, theme of it is this uh, chaos and anarchic behaviour that, as you say, was not in keeping with sort of you know post-war Britain at the time, and this sort of derision of authority you know, for any authority figure in that film, whether it's the people trying to get them to the right place on time or you know, so the guy on the train they end up having a spat with, you know, who says, you know, I fought the war for your, your sort and John Lennon says, you know, bet you sorry you won. And, uh, <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, it's, it's this sort of chaos all around them that, uh, you know, in, in that film that's, that's so, uh, so beguiling, I guess, you know, for somebody young watching it, thinking these guys just don't give a shit and, uh, yeah, I want to be like them.
0: It's funny to think about the, you know, the scenes in Hard Day's Night, you know, getting chased down the street by millions of fans, which obviously were staged for the film, but probably not far off the reality, you know, of a, a Beatle in 1964 trying to walk down a street in London. But by this point, by Get It Be, you know, there's just like two girls hanging around outside the studio mm-hmm. just just because they want to see Paul that day. Do you know what I mean, they know he's going to be there. He's going to turn up at the, the Apple offices and they just walk past, you know, maybe they nod politely, but there's no there's no screaming, you know, it's just so uh, humdrum, and, you know, they're, they're eating toast, drinking tea, you know, they're just guys
1: doing their job,
0: they just, just happen to
1: be the Beatles. Just to come back to that thing about order, I did write down one quote from the film, which is Paul McCartney, in his kind of leadership role, saying, what you need is a serious programme of work, a schedule, <laughs> achieve something every day, like, he comes across as this like you know it's kind of a productivity guru <laughs> at some point right it's like is he joking or is like no actually they do need to do that they want to I, having not having not watched get
2: back yet is there is there much crossover time-wise with with let it be or does it is
1: it all the footage pre let it be it is all let it be so they've taken oh, okay. all that let it be footage and converted it into something new so okay i'm with you let it be was the, the film Let It Be, I think, was painted. I mean, it's very difficult to see. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Uh, it's painted as just like, oh, the collapse of the Beatles. They've got this Japanese woman here who's kind of destroying them, eating them from within, turning them against each other. And it's, you know, this horrible, you know, bad mood thing that leads them to come to an end, which actually we know that they subsequently went on to do one more album. Uh, Abbey Road that got released before Let It Be and Let It Be got handed over to Phil Spector so we do know how it all kind of worked out but I think with the Beatles they've only been two alive I do wonder how much control they have of vetoing certain things and I think it is very much painting paul mccartney in a good light i'm not <laughs> saying that he's kind of manipulated it all to that end but um you know he's still alive and george and john ain't so to uh, agree and slightly disagree with two things
0: neil said here there it is a long watch there's a lot of them just sitting about and if i think if you to trying to watch it in a how long is it seven hours or eight eight, eight and a half hours, hours. Yeah, I think it it does drag on a bit. And what you were just saying about the, you know, watching them play Get Back for the 15th time, I think in the context of watching long chunks, it is a hard watch. But if you were to just localise that 20 minutes of, we don't have the song Get Back, and then 20 minutes later, we're all clapping ourselves in the back and saying, we've just produced a masterpiece here. And it's got the added value of that. Is it Billy Preston? Yeah,
1: Billy Preston. Amazing change uh, jazz of
0: mood. P pianist comes in. He's just a mate, and then they're kind of like, uh, yeah, we kind of, we kind of need someone to play the piano on this. Uh, would you mind? <laughs> yeah, you know, they just kind of. This guy's just this this jazz musician who's popped in to say hello, and they have just getting twisted his arm. You know, he can't say no. The cameras are on, and the <laughs> Beatles are asking, and the guy's like, "All right, I'll I'll sit down behind your piano," and then you know, a minute later, he's like a star in this masterpiece.
1: It's absolutely that is a brilliant. brilliant. That is a brilliant moment. Uh, I think they knew him in Hamburg when he was playing with Little Richard. So again, he's someone they knew from back in the day before they're famous, but he just brings this incredible humility and lack of attachment to fame and to, you know, like the seriousness that the Beatles got in around the White Album especially. And I I think you realize how much they need that humility, how, you know, you can't carry around an ego as big as you know the most famous person in the world and still do really creative work you need someone who's going to undercut it somehow
0: there's the, it's also the i thought the funniest joke i heard and the, the bits that i've watched was when they're they're already you know a couple of days after reflecting on george leaving the band they're like all right we've gone from having four members in the band to having three members in the band now we've got five Beatles or you know something like that they, they, they want to add this guy as the fifth Beatle. Uh, and then George is like, oh, we can invite Bob Dylan into the, you know, Dylan'll join. He'll he'll as soon as I ask, he'll join. Uh, just amazing. It's it's just that reality of their their banter, you know, their their blather. That's the best stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, but
2: I guess I mean they're they're brothers at that point, aren't they? Yeah. They, they've spent so much time together, and um, like brothers, they they fight and they make up, and I don't know. I don't know much of how it was in the 70s afterwards I mean McCartney's sort of talked about it in interviews afterwards I think he yeah. still he he went and saw you were able to because you weren't necessarily followed by the paparazzi there but he says he went and saw like Lennon when he was in New York and you know vice versa they they, they still hung out but I don't think it, their relationship was ever quite the same but I don't think they necessarily it was acrimonious as, as it somehow painted no
0: right no. in relation to, modern, I don't know, the Gallaghers or something, you know, just Twitter knobheads barking at each other. It really would have been, the second week in a row I've said this in the podcast, it really would have been interesting to see John Lennon live further on. You know, where would he end up? How? Who would he have ended up being? You know, because he was quite an evolving character and obviously politically engaged Uh, Towards the end, it really would have been fascinating. I think think
1: you'd disabuse yourself of that notion if you listened to some of those solo albums and uh, heard Yoko Ono screeching over the top of uh, you know John Lennon strumming away. Yeah, I I don't know if that, that. I don't know if you saw the film yesterday with uh, the Richard Curtis film, which um, presents a world. They, they spent £10 million getting the rights to the Beatles song, and it spent the, the, the film imagining what would happen if someone remembered the Beatles songs, but no one else knew who the Beatles were. Like, could you sell these songs to people? And at the end, I mean, I don't want to spoil it to anyone. If you, if you don't want to know the ending of yesterday, uh, <laughs> it's not a great film. But if you don't want to know, skip forward 30 seconds, Right. One, two, three. Basically, at the end, they find John Lennon is still alive and he's just there in his cabin being a nice old man. So maybe he'd just be doing that. There's a bit in that film where having established that the the main guy in it is the
0: greatest songwriter of all time because he's a combination of George, Paul, you know, John and Ringo. He sits down with Ed Sheeran (laughs) and Ed Sheeran humbly tells him, yeah, it's not me, it's you. (laughs) you're the greatest songwriter in the world. It's like, who told Ed Sheeran that he was even in the conversation? That, I mean, that I know it's just a bit in a movie, but there's a, oh God, there's some abandonment of self-awareness in that Well, moment. they, have a,
1: they only have a song off.
0: Like they have
1: yeah. a, they, they each play a song and, and see who gets the most round of applause. And I'm not sure that Ed Sheeran wouldn't get, I, I mean, I've yeah, listened to a few Ed Sheeran it, I mean. songs. I mean, they're not very good, but they, they, <laughs> They're they're really like, people love bland music. If you ever listen to modern music, it's really terrible. (laughs) But the film is full of beautiful incidental details. One of them, I assume they included for this uh, reason, is where someone's got a cough and they say, oh, maybe I've got Hong Kong flu. Hong Kong flu in 1968 (laughs) killed 4 million people. Basically, it killed as many people as COVID, almost. mean, COVID's probably just gone over now but no masks, no vaccines, people just carried on living. I'm not saying we've <laughs> overreacted to the coronavirus, but it is interesting that this thing killed basically the same amount of people it was devastating year on year, even in Europe. And uh, and like it's kind of briefly joked about by the Beatles. Was it big in Europe? Did, did Hong Kong flu
0: kill people in Britain and everywhere else?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think in the same way that flu, normal flu kills like 50,000 people a year, you know, like it is pretty devastating. But. Does it clog up the hospitals like COVID? though? I mean, <laughs> surely that is a unique thing in modern history, no? I mean maybe 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 but then again you've got all those nurses doing TikTok dances so you know Jeez. how are they ever gonna find <laughs> Richard the time? You, Richard, you missed last week's episode
0: and in the closing I, comments. It never made the it never made the final edit, <laughs> but I, I spoiled I meant to introduce him as a spectator. Uh <laughs> subscriber Neil Scott. Uh, Can I just say
1: yourself, I've never feel paid for a spectator, but you know, it's okay. The free subscription, you're trying to waste it. That that was your argument, wasn't it? I wouldn't pay for it, I have to say, but if they offer me a free subscription and a tote bag, it already told you how much I <laughs> like a tote bag, then I'm gonna take them up on it. And I don't know. There's a few interesting writers in there and yeah. Okay, let's let's
0: end this on a high by we, we, we had a homework task to identify the well. It was meant to be a top three, our, our favourite top three Beatles songs, and we're all, we're all, we're going to do like a draft. We'll all pick one and then move on to the next one. Uh, and by the end, we'll have nine, and then we may as close it off with a, a tenth because I've actually got two spares. Because I, I there was a weird experience I had because I'm very aware that my favourite Beatles songs aren't from the Red Album, they aren't from the Blue Album, you know, because you know I they're. There's sort of love songs and ballads and nasty John Lennon songs from the middle 60s was my perception. And I kind of thought in my head that there's there's three or four Beatles songs that are my favourite Beatles songs. So I went through and listened to like basically every Beatles song today and realised that that list of three or four is actually 15. And there's all these songs I kind of think separately are the same song. And then I, you know, oh, it was just it was a very hard task. Well, we'll break it down. There might be some overlap. We might pick the same songs. That'd be quite interesting to see. Uh, I'll let you go, Richard. You've got your, your eyes on your sheet. Uh, who's your first first draft choice?
2: Okay, so I've, I thought about this in terms of my favourite Beatles songs that mean something to me. And these might not necessarily be the the best beatles songs in yeah. terms of you know pieces music etc but you know my my favorite if i could only listen to three more beatles songs forevermore these are the three i would yeah. pick and the first one is uh, revolution
0: they say you want a revolution
2: musically just you know love it for it's just it's the precursor of a, of a of rock in in many cases very like grungy guitars great riff that comes in you know good hook you go through the um and, and then sort of i love the thing in the in the chorus of you know where john lennon's voice goes really high on you don't you know it's gonna be <laughs> and uh, all right and and so yeah love that about it and then the other thing i really like about it actually is as i've got older the sentiments expressed in the song are actually getting sort of closer to like my own worldview, in that sort of he talks about you know so you say you've got a real solution well you know we all love to see the plan you ask me for a contribution well you know we're all doing what we can and it's just sort of like I could just think of this song as a conversation with you know a lot of the you know, a lot of activist types who you know want a revolution want to change the world that you know John Lennon's saying okay all right but you know what are you actually going to do about it here calm down <laughs> calm
1: down, calm down. <laughs> is this before or after he spent uh all that time in the bed because that isn't there a line about that in or is that yeah. the ballad of John and Yoko where yeah. he talks about you know getting staying in, in bed, bed for a be, week. because that I mean you know it's not a very revolutionary act in some ways but it got a lot of attention for I don't even know what for <laughs> probably anti-vietnam yeah. you yeah. that out there The newspaper said, yeah, she's got to his head, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Neil, what's your your first draft choice?
1: Mine is almost the same, but it's uh, Revolution 9 from the same album, which, like, I mean, it's the one that goes, number nine, number nine, and it's, like, all these kind of, recordings and obviously you know it's not a song I listen to all the time and you know it's not the most pleasurable listen to but as I listened to that as an 18 year old or whatever I started getting into the White Album I was like oh my god this is just like what it just kind of blew my mind that they got away with it that they could do this like avant-garde thing in the most popular band in the world so I think the fact that I listened to that and then subsequently started exploring other art forms and arts and stuff i think was a great service and it's like amazing that the beatles with their kind of relentless modernistic energy got to that point rather than just being like the rolling stones and doing boring you know like guitar music for their entire career so yeah i think i think that's just um it's it's worth noting for that fact
0: right interesting choice one thing i noticed when my when i would got it down to 15 uh, there was seven lennons six mccartneys and two harrisons if that adds up i was at, at that point i decided right i'm gonna pick one of each yeah yeah but i think that's the fair way to, to to dish it out so the first one the first song i wrote down like even before i started listening back was i should have known better <laughs> from Hard Day's Night. I am, like I say, I'm very mid-60s Beatles, before the experimenting. For me, the peak Beatles is that, you know, mop top, you know, around the movies, uh, 64, 66, really. That's why I love the Beatles. And uh, it's one of the best things in the, the film, Hard Day's Night when they're all just sitting on the train and that uh, harmonica is just wailing away. You know, really upbeat, fun song. Uh, it was also the longest of the songs that I chose. So I was, I was trying to get my money's worth. If I'm, you know, I've only got three Beatles songs to listen to forever. When I'd got down to a shorter list, it was like, Oh, it's a long one, I'll, I'll stick it in there. So for me, I should have known better which is, is is definitely in there as my, as my Lenin choice. It's not a personal lyric, significant thing. <laughs> I, I think it's significant to everyone, Neil. Yeah. you should all have known better at some point <laughs> in our lives, shouldn't we? Which takes us back to Richard. What's your your second choice for the draft?
2: Isn't that funny that I should have known better was one of my three. Really? Without, yeah. For for all the reasons you said. I mean it just I wanted I wanted one of the songs that, you know, take me back to that first um discovery of the band. You know, with that film. It's a great scene, as you said. They're on the train, they're having a great time the harmonica riff it's just sort of that whole sort of uh you know, you know three chord magic of like early Lennon mccartney that uh that i love but um don't worry i've got a long list so no <laughs> no but for my second one I, I think i'm gonna go harrison then you know follow yours right. and there's a few I, I know a lot of people with the you know, george harrison like to go for things like something or you know while my guitar gently weeps but my favorite harrison songs here comes the sun And I think it's one of those things it's just it's a beautiful song yeah beautiful melody very uplifting lyrics but also from a personal perspective it's sort of one of the first songs I kind of really mastered on the guitar that actually sounds quite good to play. You know, you can pick up a noodle guitar and play. Here comes the sun. People are like, oh, you can play the guitar when <laughs> you play that four songs. So yeah, sort of yeah. That's the song that you know by 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 learning. It, I've listened to it a hell of a lot. So. I would say Here Comes the Sun is my next one.
0: Uh, Neil, I'm just going to jump the queue here to exactly. uh, Newsflash. Just, uh, yeah, Here Comes the Sun was my Harrison pick. <laughs> uh, and this is, like I say, I, I went through every Beatles song today. Just, you know, like listen to the first couple of, you know, just to remind myself, like, what are the ones that I really love? What are the ones, you know, so I could break down that list. And that was one that I think that is kind of a blue album, isn't it? So it's kind of upper echelons Beatles awareness. But as soon as you hear that plucky guitar, it's just like, no, this is one of the masterpieces. This is absolutely brilliant. And then I listened to it right the way through. It was like straight into the list. It was like and then as I whittled away and whittled away and whittled away, I couldn't take it out. And, and there it is. So there it goes. It's, it's, it's double voted in as a <laughs> as a, a top 10 Beatles
1: song by us. So Neil, you can you can then uh, nice. I mean yourself. my choice is the opposite of my last choice, which is she loves you. She loves listen to she loves you and it's just this explosion of energy and joy and they've got the you know they've got the you know yeah 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 like it just encapsulates everything that's so perfect about that Beatles moment Uh, I think it was the third single and it's still even now the top selling single of all time I believe it was their first uh, number one in America as well. It was just this kind of era-defining song that just suddenly just exploded out. I think you can kind of hear some of that music in Twist and Shout, their kind of cover yeah. version. Also, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was kind of my almost choice for this kind of early Beatles like explosion. I think it's also sends shivers down the spine and obviously helps a bit later has that rawness but you know what you know i've been going through old videos and watching them and just they're so f- much fun in that period it's so joyful and the it's just like the total essence of pop music at this point you know the lyrics are pared down to about you know 12 words um and yeah just everything about it it's just joyful so uh, yeah it's um yeah i'm gonna I, i'm so glad we did this podcast so i could just get to listen to that <laughs> again and again yeah. for a while it's uh, yeah it's been a joy that would take me technically to my second
0: which I, I'm, I'm torn between two i'm gonna see what we've got left here i'm gonna to jump to my mccartney choice which is from the help album i've just seen her face i just saw her face mm-hmm.
1: I've just seen her face I can't forget the time or place where we just met She's just a girl for me and I want all the world to see we've met
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Had it been another day I might have looked the other way And I'd have never been aware but as it is I'll dream of her tonight
0: Brilliant song. Again, an, e- an easy one to play. I'm not a good guitar player, but I can bash that out in a, an empty room and entertain myself. But yeah, just classic mid 60s. I don't think it's that it's not in the film Hell, which I've watched a thousand times. I don't think at any point it is in the film, but it's on the album and a absolutely brilliant song.
2: So that that's my that's my first Mac- McCartney choice. Richard your third? So I think yeah McCartney could do could do rock songs he could do the uplifting songs it's a bit like saying if you said but but I think his, his he was better at ballads um, I mean it's a bit like saying Ronaldo can't use his head you know obviously he's brilliant with his head but this is uh, <laughs> with his feet you remember him for me it's, it's the ballads with McCartney and I know the sort of the, the the more popular ones are probably you know like Long and Winding Road or Yesterday but I, I think I'm gonna go for Blackbird <laughs> the white mm-hmm. album again again because it's a lot more sort of you know a song um than some of those other ones that have those kind of big booming you know crescendo finishes you know blackbird is very kind of simple and you know subdued the way through but just Um, A lovely melody and it's it's interesting when he's talked about it at different times in different interviews and meaning different things some some, like uh, the most simplest thing he said when he was sort of in India you you know heard a blackbird calling and then other times he said it's about you know racial tension in the US in 1968 that was brewing up I'm not sure just a really you know simple beautiful song to listen to so yeah my McCartney pick would be Blackbird. I
1: mean talking about racial tensions there's a brilliant moment in the documentary where John Lennon has just listened to Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech and he's like oh did you hear that speech yesterday it was amazing <laughs> it's brilliant like oh it's like poetry he's like and he's like and they start doing songs based on it like <laughs> I have a dream <laughs> like it's uh, just it's such a great moment especially because I think people associate that period of the Beatles with like get back like there are recordings of Get Back that are kind of parodies of Enoch Powell. Yeah. And those songs used to go around as bootlegs, as like evidence that the Beatles were xenophobic <laughs> in some way. Which, which, I mean, in a way it could be true because one of their best mates of the period was Eric Clapton, who has been on record yeah. numerous times as being a big fan of Enoch Powell. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, clearly, clearly the rest of their career suggests they weren't bigots but
0: yeah there is <laughs> literally just john bashing away in a guitar going enoch pal enoch pal enoch pal that could have been misused yeah uh,
1: but, but i so, didn't choose a mccartney song or a harrison song much as i kind of you know, i did have them on a list of so thought about incorporating them but my final choice is i am the walrus i am here as you are here Again, quite a long one. Get my money's worth out of that. Uh, but I think Eye of the Warriors, it just builds up into something really interesting. Um, lyrically, it's kind of all over the shop. But any John Lennon song, they always have that kind of his wound. You know, John Lennon, Lennon carries around a wound uh, in all of his songs from Help to, you know...
0: Even
1: well, yeah, Before, yeah. Even Before, yeah. You know, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy I think that was one of those songs that came back into prominence around the Britpop era because Oasis would always finish their set with Iron the Warrior so it became more relevant again but I think it's it feels timeless and it's one of the I know a lot of people that have given up on the Beatles just because they've listened to them too much somehow you know somehow uh, and I'm Not quite in that camp, but I could see myself getting into it. When we decided we were going to do this podcast, I started listening to the Blue Album to kind of go back to how I got into the Beatles. And some of those McCartney songs are fucking awful. Like, they're kind of like oh bloody O oh blada era um, yeah. the uh, lady madonna the hello goodbye like they're so grating to me at this point it's i mean maybe listen to them once and it's fine but it's like like having one chocolate versus like a whole box of chocolates you're gonna feel sick by the end of it and that's how i feel with a lot of mccartney songs. yeah there's, there's definitely a degree
0: of of overkill of of any great pop music like I'd, i remember when that when that queen movie came out a couple of years ago yeah you know, I, I was never into queen you know but i i i like bohemian rhapsody right i get it and i get all the big hits i understand why they exist and why people like them but when all the the kids in my school started like overly appreciating queen to me, it was just like, you know, it was like drinking crap tap water, you know, just like, oh, it's, it's just always there. It's always been there. And I can understand why your are D's and dads. Yeah, there are there some Beatles songs that are just ubiquitous to the point where they're, you know, they're just stale and nothing. and it, yeah, But it yeah. is when you, you dip into the albums and, you know, the B-sides, you find these absolute gems. So I, I know what a, you're
2: saying there, Neil. Sorry, I can throw a couple more into that bucket of you know, Maxwell Silver Hammer springs <laughs> to mind. You know, when I'm 64, there there is a there is a class of sort of uh, yeah. Yeah, McCartney McCartney songs that uh, that that probably actually don't stand up the test of time.
0: But that's the thing. It's yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, there's so many that do. Even Delta even the Skelter,
2: Beatles.
0: Uh, yeah. Shit songs are better than most people's songs <laughs> yeah. in, in terms of just being catchy songs. You know, as as bad as they might be. So that's me. That's me. Got all your six. And if we doubled up on I Should Have Known Better and Here Comes the Sun. Uh, so what have I got? I'm now, I'm kind of scared to do it. Is this a shitty McCartney song that I'm going to get judged for?
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> I think uh, I remember in, 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 I don't know if it was the late 90s or whatever. The NME did, you know, the greatest albums ever or whatever. And I remember Revolver came out as the top Beatles album. And it threw me because I... I guess I was a Sergeant Pepperhead at the time or, or something like that So I remember, I've, I think I've always listened to Revolver With that stigma in my head That this is meant to be the best one You know, for, for good or for bad I've, I've kind of, you know, had that in my mind So I, I've listened to Revolver a lot And just revisiting it today to see, you know What's the tune that jumped out at me And it was uh, here, there and everywhere
1: To lead a better life I need my love
0: mccartney ballad that i think it's just a beautiful song you know, uh, you know and you know a bit sappy obviously but just so good you know again just you know how, how can you leave it out the out the list so there's my that was my second so uh i've just seen a face yeah another soft mccartney here there and everywhere soft mccartney the one i haven't mentioned yet and the 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 ridiculous thing is it's also on hard days night literally the track after i should have known better is if i fell you know if i fell in love with you would you just imagine those two songs written by the same guy back to back you know it's like one of those times when i don't know ronaldo scored two wonder goals in the same game you know it's like you know or Messi or something So if, if you allow me to sneak that in, that gives us our 10.
1: <laughs> <out>. No way. <laughs> no. We <I mean>, two <laughs> revolutions
0: in our 10. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I think it, I'm very glad that neither of you have mentioned the fact that I've had my, uh, my wife, the conceptual artist, sitting next to me for this entire podcast because, uh, you know, if, if you watch the Get Back, you'll know that um, you know Yoko Ono is just sitting there, po-faced, never laughing, never joining in, but just like next to John Lennon. And I, I wanted to kind of replicate that, but I'm glad you didn't mention it. Like I was,
0: uh, I was men- meaning to plan to mention it in the preamble. The idea that, yeah, inject that dynamic. Is, is this true, Neil? Is, is Laura there?
1: Yeah, yeah, she's been here all, all the right.
0: time. Hello, Laura. I to see you. Uh, <laughs> right, or nice to not hear or see you. Uh, <laughs> But I was thinking that, yeah, imagine that dynamic, though. Imagine Neil or Richard, you know, both of you just said, right, the whip beyond measure now comes with my wife. <laughs> you know, how how would we feel about that? I mean, I'm quite fine with it in the, in the context. But if she started squealing and being all Yoko-ish,
1: <laughs> a weird one. I, mean, I think also Linda McCartney t- needs to take some blame. I think she uh, is quite disruptive in proceedings, taking lots of photos, taking people out of the moment.
0: Is this episode three? <laughs> I've not
1: seen this. Oh, yeah, she's seen it quite a lot in episode three, and, and she brings in her daughter and everything. Ringo Starr's wife comes in as well. Maureen, she's in there. She's she met him as a fifteen year old in nineteen sixty two, I think. So she was there around, but then he beat her up and. Uh, well, then he goes on. on
2: well, he goes on to marry a Bond girl, doesn't he? Barbara
1: Back. Yeah. From
2: Spy Who Me. Because
0: Peter Sellers appears in the documentary.
2: Did he not marry a Bond girl
0: as well?
1: Ursula Andress. Did it? No, I do not know, yeah.
0: It might be Barbara back. They might both have married her. But
1: well, they're both that's... in the same film uh, afterwards, The Magic Christian. So the reason they got this set in Twickenham was because they were Ringo yeah. and Peter Sellers were filming The Magic Christian, which I don't know if anyone's seen. but
0: It's a very interesting bit when Peter Sellers comes in, because, I, I mean, the, the length of my knowledge of Peter Sellers is the, the biopic HBO made with, Jeffrey Rush, which is actually a really, I I found it a really interesting film. Uh, But the scene in Get Back when this, you know, A-list Hollywood super celebrity just turns up, but he's just not on the same page as Lennon, and you know, the 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 banter, it's just not there. And he just sits awkwardly, like, all right, I'm here with my celebrity pals, but I have absolutely fuck all to say to them, (laughs) and they really don't care much for the fact I'm here. And he just sits for a bit and then leaves. It's very weird. Neil, can you remember the night we played at a Beatles themed acoustic night in Glasgow? Yeah. What songs did you
1: play? I played A Day in the Life, uh, which sounds pretty good on acoustic guitar. Didn't I do In My Life? Like, quite confusingly. I can't I, I, I
0: remember. I, I know I butchered. In,
1: what did you do? Norwegian I Woods? I
0: butchered Norwegian Woods. Yeah. And you've got to hide your love away. Uh,
2: uh, another good one from Help.
0: But uh, I, I was really pleased because remember the a Glasgow celebrity member of a, a brilliant Beatles tribute band called Them Beatles. Is that what they were called? Yeah. Absolutely best best thing I've ever seen. Sounds like you're listening to re- a Beatles record. Absolutely brilliant. Them Beatles geniuses. If if you can, you know, it's, it's that classic thing. Is who's the genius? The guy that produced the masterpiece or the guy that copied the masterpiece?
1: The one who produced
0: it. It's obviously the first one.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I, th- I think painting is the other way around. To replicate something that already exists is surely harder than just creating something. Well,
1: I, I look forward to someone replicating this podcast. And if you can do it perfectly with our voices, then yeah, they are I
2: genius. I look forward to uh, Anthony's trial for art fraud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: But the, the bootleg Paul McCartney joined me on stage and played bass, which probably salvaged some of the, the shit show that was on
2: uh, on show that night. I don't think like, John Lennon was like, hey, Paul, I've got a great one for you to sing today.
1: No, but I think they oh, did, thanks, in the George. early days, co-wrote <laughs> a few songs.
2: Like, oh, thanks, John. That's great. <laughs>
1: if you keep your teeth together, you
0: sound
2: more like George. It's like he's the Clive Owen thing. This one's awful. We'll give this one to Ringo. (laughs) This one's shit. It's about animals
0: under the sea. It's definitely a Ringo song.
2: Could I sing one? Um, I'm uh... not
1: going to do
0: it. (laughs) So, the last time I flew from Liverpool to Bratislava, coming back after Christmas. And the guy was driving me through Liverpool. And it was really weird because I I'd, I'd just had this thought. You know, I don't know Liverpool at all. But I just had, my internal monologue had just said, I wonder where the Beatles live. Do you know what I mean? I wonder north, south, east, west. I wonder which part of Liverpool was the Beatles bit. If there was one or, you know, whatever. And the taxi driver, like, literally like 10 seconds later goes, <laughs> see that house over there? That's John Lennon's house. <laughs> it was just like, oh, fucking hell. He read my mind. But then the other thing he said was... the uh, strawberry fields. That's Penny Lane down there. (laughs) He also said, this neighbourhood used to be really nice, but now it's all full of Poles and Slovaks stealing our jobs. (laughs) Which I thought was hugely ironic because I was flying out to Bratislava to steal a teacher's (laughs) job. (laughs) There you go. Fucking European Union.